And I think maybe the reason that I was able to have that experience is because I no longer needed that experience. When we're seeking something so hard, we're trying to manifest it so hard, or we're trying to have that spiritual experience. If you're looking so hard, you're never going to get it. It's like you're ruining the spontaneity. That was Julie Pyatt, plant-based chef, author, healer, musician, and yogi, and this is the Running on Om podcast. This week's Running on Om episode is sponsored by Revolution Y. What's Revolution Y? It's a four-day retreat for millennials who want to challenge the status quo, a place to question your relationship with your work, health, food, and other people. This past year's Revolution Y was without a doubt one of the most incredible weekends of my life. I got to teach yoga, lead runs, workshops, and the power of listening and discovering one's vision. We shared delicious plant-based meals together, explored the 60-acre West Virginia farm property on which the retreat was held, engaged in workshops on self development and entrepreneurship, and challenge one another with the tough questions about our paths. Revolution Y 2016 is going to be unreal. The dates for it are September 23rd through 26, 2016. And if you want to receive the early bird discount from now until December 14th, apply to join us on revolutiony.com. Let's start a revolution together. Hey everyone, if this is your first time tuning into Running on a Welcome, and if this is your 165th time, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and Running on Ohm is more than just a podcast about running and yoga. It's conversations with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body connection through different mediums, from actors, meditators, musicians, authors, entrepreneurs, Olympic gold medalists, chefs, to surfers. I believe the stories of the people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. And today's guest, Julie Pyatt, she's changed my life through her example and mentorship. Now, I had Julie's husband, Rich Roll, on the podcast about 10 days ago, episode 162 to be exact, and it's about taking ownership of your own evolution. Really powerful stuff. But today, today is not the first time I've had Julie on Running on Ohm. I've actually had her on the Skype podcast days, episode number 47 and number 125. But this episode, this is a first in-person interview with Julie. When Rich and Julie came to speak in Boston for the Vegetarian Food Festival, I got to spend the day with Julie. We attended yoga class, shared two amazing vegan meals together, and recorded this conversation for all of you. Now, I've listened to a lot of podcasts with Julie, whether they're on Rich Roll's podcast, my past episodes, or other podcasts out there. I've listened to pretty much them all and totally adore her. Today, Julie shares actually some new stories and insight on Running on Ohm that I've never heard her talk about before that really moved me deeply, and I feel excited to see how they move you. Julie explores what it means to connect to your primal pulse. So what's your primal pulse? It's the center of your being, your spirit, the part of you that feels like maybe a black sheep, that old soul part of you, or that misunderstood by others. But as Julie will share this primal pulse, this is your magic, this is your light. Julie is a woman of many different spheres. She's a chef, author, healer, musician, yogi, wife, meditator, mother, and the list goes on, but she's also a starseed. So you're going to have to listen to our conversation to learn from Julie herself about what starseeds are, but I have no doubt that you are a starseed too because you're choosing to tune into this conversation. So be prepared to unlock a deeper understanding of the channel of energy that flows within you through Julie's insight. Before we dive deep with Julie, I have a November giveaway to tell you about where you can win a Wazelle outfit. So today, the day we release this podcast is the very last day of November, and it's the last day you're eligible to win some Wazelle threads. So Wazelle is a women's running company that honestly does so much more than just make running clothing. It's a community for women runners around the world of all levels to connect, share, and support one another in their lives. You'd be hard-pressed to find a day when I don't have Wazelle on. Their clothing is not only the cutting edge of running technology, but it's beautiful and functional 
optional for yoga, any athletic activity, or just can be worn in everyday life. So if you want to win a Wazelle outfit, it's actually really simple. All you have to do is leave Running on Oma review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonoma at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonoma. The giveaway ends today, November 30th, by midnight Pacific Standard Time, and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Thank you so much for choosing to tune into Running on Ohm. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for reaching out to me. I always love to hear from all of you. And let's dig in together to today's conversation with Julie Pyatt. Even during my interview with Rich, it was stuck in my head. Oh, it was? Yeah. Was but like, did you hear my dad's harmonica solo on it? I did. That's it's, him. It's so sweet. It's so like, it's so simple. And it's perfectly like of his era. Mm. Like he was born in 19, I don't know when. I don't even know. He's anyway, he's 92. So it was a long time ago. But it's kind of like the, where he went with that, we would have, none of us would have chosen that, but it was very specific to his time. So it sounded, it was cool. Do you ever wonder what era you were supposed to be born in? <laughs> That's interesting. Um yeah, I'm not exactly, but I do have uh, memories of living in Europe in another lifetime. Like when I'm there, I feel like I'm home. Do you have, do you have that? Do you have that experience? It was like I was just recently in Paris with Rich, and I was so happy to be home again. And I did live there in this lifetime for about six months, but it's it's be it's. It's beyond that. So yeah, I have a memory of living in Europe in another time, but I don't know exactly when. Yeah, it's something I wonder a lot because people will say to me, and I'm sure they've said this to you since you were a young girl, oh, you're an old soul. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. What does that mean to you being an old soul? Well, I mean, I think for, for me, it's that feeling that I've always been exactly the way I feel right now since I was a ba- since I was born. And I remember being in my crib waiting for someone to come and pick me up. And I described my childhood a lot like, it wasn't like, oh, my childhood was amazing and I was, you know, like a child. It was more like I was waiting to be old enough to leave to do the work I wanted to do. And when did you leave? When I was 17. What happened? I just went, I graduated from school a little bit early. Um, I went to school in, in Alaska and I was friends with all of my teachers and it was kind of the wild west. It was, you know, like I was going out dancing with my teachers on the weekend and I would have lunch with them in the teacher's lounge. Um, because I never, I didn't really relate to high school or kids my own age, never have. And, and I'm the youngest of five kids also. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I just, um, I, I was always kind of the age that, that I am right now. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I've answered your question. Yeah. I'm kind of like off on it. You a, can be wherever you want Yeah, yeah. Be. Yeah, no, I was friends with my teachers in school. Um, and then, oh, I graduated. So I graduated six months earlier, um, I think because my teachers just like gave me the marks that I wanted and they let me get out early. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how I did that. 
Do you feel like you're in that age, you could get along better with your teachers than your peers? Much better. Yeah, exactly. Completely true. And as an adult now, do you still feel that? I'm still looking for my peers. (laughs) I still have not found my peers. Uh, Yeah, I think, well, my whole life, I, I often hung around with people that were a lot older than I was. And, and now, but now it's sort of funny because it's sort of becoming the reverse. Now it seems like a lot of people that are drawn to Rich and to me, they're much younger than we are. So I don't know. It's sort of like age is kind of a number, but I don't know. With your kiddos, cause uh-huh. there you have a huge diversity of Age. ages in your yeah. house which is so beautiful yeah do you feel like any of them are old souls yeah i feel like uh all of them are old souls actually. really yeah 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 but different type of old souls I oh feel very like. different yeah all completely unique completely different my my older boys are are very uh, there's they're just amazing they're um they're very engaging. They're very charismatic. They're very well read. Um, they can talk to anybody. They're extremely present. Um, they're happy in life kind of every day. And we play in a band together. So that is really great as well. So definitely when I'm playing with them, when I'm playing music, it's no longer mother and son. It doesn't feel like mother and son. It's like musicians. It and transcends. I, yeah, yeah. And I do have experience of actually, it's kind of funny because Sometimes for entertainment, we go to the channel, like, uh, and we have this, uh, this channel that we know that, that channels this consciousness from another time. It's like a spiritual type of message. And some people go to the movies and we do love the movies, but we also go to the channel sometimes just for entertainment. And so we have, um, we have, uh, learned about lifetimes that we had together, um, yeah, actually in Europe where my one of my sons and I, we actually invented an instrument in France. Um, and then we also know that we were uh, artists together in Spain and that we shared a studio. And in that lifetime, our grandchildren married each other. So these are like little like bits of information that we've gotten sort of from these excursions that we've gone on. And so, and it, and, you know, all of it, again, we take it kind of with a grain of salt you know, but, uh, you can test that information by feeling what it feels like in your body. Like, does it resonate? Is it an alignment or does it evoke like a spontaneous emotion? Then you can, you know, you kind of have a pretty good feeling that it's true. So we all felt that to be very true. Can you speak a little bit more about the channel? Like, what is that? Or is that something you're able to speak about on the mic? Yeah, well, this is like this, it's kind of, it's sort of very hilarious. If you've never done it, there's there's always a comedic element to it. And we definitely participate in um, expressing the comedy of the quest for spiritual connection and all the kind of different colors and personalities that come along with that. So it's all done with like a very... um, a very light kind of spirit or, uh, or way, you know, we, we definitely leave a lot of room for humor, but one of the first times that I experienced it, um, is this particular channel. Um, it's actually a woman, but the woman channels a man, but the man is from a, like a previous time on earth. So it's from, you know, I don't know, maybe the 1700s or 1800s or something like that. So it's, and, and when she goes into trance, so you go in the room and she kind of gives you, she kind of goes, okay, 
you know, has anybody ever seen this happen before? And she kind of briefs you so that you don't freak out when she goes into trance and then she's someone else, basically. But she basically starts speaking like in, with an English accent. It's this man. Uh, but the funny thing is, is it's not, the man is speaking, but it's really a collective consciousness and of many, many times that I've gone and my children have gone and, you know, we have friends that have gone, you know, I've been part of these groups. Uh, the messages are very positively uplifting, inspiring, very big, big overarching themes. And always the, the information is given with such a, such a spirit of love unconditional love and acceptance and beauty. And so it's in, in, and a lot of things ring true. Like the consciousness knows things about your lifetime or your, or things in your personality and they, and that's brought out and presented to you. And so, and it's kind of funny. So you kind of laugh, you're like, Oh, how, you know, how, how would that know that? How would that consciousness know that? But when the consciousness is speaking about also the future, I imagine, mm -hmm. what is that experience like for you to hear things about, oh, I'm going to do this or... Yeah, this particular channel is less, um, you know, I always feel like in spiritual um, study or seeking, um, the future is more psychically based. Like if you have a fortune teller or a psychic and they say, you know, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And sometimes there are very clear psych psychics and that's really great. Um, however, that's a little bit more phenomena based, you know, where you're trying to, um, verify is the person for real or not, you know, by what they tell you. Um, this is a little bit different. I, I think this is, not so much psychic as it is spiritual support. Um, so like, I don't believe this consciousness would really tell you uh, something exact in the future. Like, you know, you're going to marry your husband in the month of June in, you know, five years, it would be more, um, more pointing you in certain directions. Like, uh, for instance, one time, one thing that was shared was he, he was teasing me and he was telling me that my manifestation ability was so finely crafted. Like, so my skill was so honed that I had to be careful because if I just sort of absentmindedly waved my hand in a direction, uh, there might be like, you know, a, uh, an object sitting in my living room that I didn't even want. So he was teasing me about the power that I could, um, that I could harness by being very specific about the power what manifesting. I wanted, about what I wanted, because he was telling me that I had a very advanced ability to manifest. And, and that would be very true. I mean, if you, if you talk to any of my friends or anything, they, they would tell you, oh yes, that's, you know, pretty much if I, if I set out to do something, it's going to happen. Where, where do you find the roadblocks in the manifestation process for you right now? Like, are you wanting to manifest certain things right now that you're actually hitting some blockages in? No, actually I'm way beyond that world. So, um, I'm no manner. I'm no longer in a um, place of like visioning things and wanting to manifest things. Um, I'm in a state of service to my greater self, to my future self, to my full embodiment. So, um, I, I engage in a lot of activities and I, through meditation, I receive impulses and messages from my soul that tell, you know, give me information and I act on that information. 
but it's much it's a much different uh, stage. Like it's no it's no longer um, at, at that level. And when you speak to your meditation practice, what is that for you? Is meditation something that happens throughout the day, or is it a sacred time for you that you carve out in your day? It's definitely both. I mean, it's a I've become uh, very attuned to the life force and to, um, you know, the pranic flow through my body. And so I'm very present in all parts of my life. I'm very connected in the moment. And I also do sit in meditation. And it's, um, it's a way of dissolving beyond the body into the greater consciousness and actually stopping the, the communication, the voice, the chatter, you know, the, any, the thinking at all. So it's dropping beyond the thinking mind and sort of resting in this sea of, of feeling more. It's very, yeah, it's very in a way primal actually to me. Mm-hmm. not primal in like an aggressive way, but mm-hmm. this morning we had the opportunity to practice Kundalini yoga next to each other, which was really special. And there was this time when we were doing this circular movement mm-hmm. and, you know, I peeked at you slightly and I, I didn't really feel like you were a human being. <laughs> not like, I actually felt like you were kind of an animal. It was really cool. And I was like, wow, Julie has this like way of flowing in her body that felt very primal. Uh-huh. Like you were in touch with this kind of animal sense uh-huh. in, inside of you. Yeah, it's um, that's interesting that you had that experience. I mean, I was def I definitely was able to drop in very deep in in that experience. It was re- it was really cool, and um, you know, using the the breath and the and the prana sort of activation exercises that are part of Kundalini Yoga, they get you to that state, which is a lot why that's why in my own humming meditation, my meditation practice, it's the humming practice that gets you finally in the space where you can drop a little bit and you can feel that sort of immersion. But I would say that, um, I am kind of connected to the primal kind of impulse and I've, I've had some kind of interesting experiences in my life. Uh, one I'll share with you since you brought it up. Um, I, um, I was going through, it was in my dark night, like it was a whole nine year dark night you know, period, but it was kind of in the thick of that. And there was a lot of times that I would be up in the middle of the night and it would just be me under the stars. We live in this very sacred place underneath this mountain and there are no street lights anywhere around. It's by city ordinance. So even though we kind of are in the city, it has the illusion that you're really in the country. And so, you know, many, many nights I would just be up in the middle of the night, just me in the stars. And some of that included, you know, different yoga practice, different breathing practices. I channeled my music at that time. Um, and this one period, I don't ask me why or how, but I suddenly got this wake, like I was woken up in the middle of the night when it first happened. And I was, to- and when I say I was told, like, I don't hear a voice, like, hello, like that. It's not like that, but it's like this knowing, right? It's like I, all of a sudden I, I get the message and I get up and I walk out of my room and I go downstairs and, you know, we, we are blessed to have this amazing lap pool in the middle of our house. It's actually, between, it's outside, but it's right through the middle of our house. And I was to get in the water and start swimming and I'm very um, sensitive to cold, and I, I love swimming, but I love swimming in, like, Caribbean water. 
So I'm, I'm like a, I'm a water snob. Like I, if it's not really warm, then I won't get in it. So my whole family laughs cause I'm hardly ever in the pool. And here I am, I started swimming and the, it was the weirdest thing ever. And it's going to sound really, really crazy, but it was just, it was a, a primal direction of my body where like in Kundalini today, my body started undulating almost like a dolphin, right? By itself. And because I was completely alone in my house in the pitch black in the middle of the night, I guess I was able to just let my body do what my body was doing. So I'm in the water and my body's undulating at the time what I thought is like a dolphin. And then my hands start to uh, make this specific mudra. Um, and so that's happening. And then uh, these sounds sort of wanted to come out and it was more like a whale tone or something like that. So here I am swimming naked in my pool in the middle of the night. My body's undulating. I'm making this mudra that I've never made before. And I'm toning like a whale under the water. And I'm laughing at myself at the same time. Like this is completely insane, ridiculous, but the impulse was so strong. So I did that over a period of two, two full months. And, um, uh, it would just happen to me at random times. Spontaneous. It was, I kind of felt like I was a Stepford wife. Did you guys ever see those movies of like the Stepford wives where all of a sudden the tone goes off and they all like drop their laundry and they start walking somewhere. Like one time I had the kids in the car ready to go somewhere and they had to sit there and wait for me. I was like, I'm sorry, I have to do this thing. And they're like, mom, I'm like, I'll be there in a minute. And what it ended up being is it was 13 lengths it was the exact same amount every time. So I did 13 lengths, but I was making this specific mudra, which later on, uh, some months after the whole thing stopped. And that's the other thing is I was doing it for a period of two months and then it was gone. So it wasn't like, oh, now I swim like this. It was this. like the spirit moved through. That's it. It, it. And to me, what I, the meaning that it has to me is that there was some communication that my body needed to receive from these whale beans. And so it, it communicated to me and because I'm who I am and because I was in a private situation, I was able to embody it, able to just allow it and not judge it and not, you know, doubt it or whatever. So that was really, really cool. And I also know whale beans to be very advanced beings and also cosmically. And so, you know, they have a very great spiritual meaning. So um, I've, I felt it was, you know, a huge, a huge blessing, but the hilarious thing and the divine thing was some months later, I went to see this, uh, Himalayan yogi. His name is, um, Gurunath Siddhanath. And, uh, he's a Himalayan yogi, older man in body this lifetime with big silver hair. And he, he's a householder and has children and has an orphanage in India. And I was invited to a private meeting at a, at a, at a house and I went and I was in line at the bathroom, just waiting before going into the meditation. And I looked at his brochure and he was standing in front of the children with his arms over his head, making the exact same mudra that I had made in the water. And so I just gig, you know, I had to giggle. I was like, that's so epic. It's so perfect. Did you mention it to him? Um, I didn't mention it to him. I, I didn't have an, exp I didn't have an opportunity. However, that same night, um, I went and sat with him in meditation and, uh, he, um, he did a, 
a technique or a process um, where we looked at him with open eye meditation. And it was quite interesting because it was the, it was one of the most powerful spiritual experiences that I've ever had, like something that you would sit in meditation for a lifetime to experience. And it was so interesting because um, I, I was looking at him open eye during the meditation and the entire room uh, changed to a different frequency. It became a celestial world where I could see like, it would be like everything shimmering with a gold, like opalescent frequency, but it was everything. Like as I'm looking at the rooms, it would be the microphone, you, the wall, the plants, the everything, right? But this was not in my inner vision. This was with my physical eyes. So it was doing that. And I was like, wow, this is a trip. Okay. Wow. Look at that. So then I closed my eyes and then opened them back up and it was still on. So it stayed for about 20 minutes. I saw some other beings come into his body right in front of me. Like as if Lawrence, you're here and you're there. I, it was exactly that visceral. It wasn't like, oh, I'm imagining or I'm feeling in another place. It was right in front of my eyes. Then we took a break and I came back and it did it again. It happened a second time. And the funny thing was, is that, you know, it's so funny because earlier in my, you know, my spiritual quest, I've always been a seeker. I've, since the day that I was born, I was always looking for, you know, what is the real, what is the real essence of life and what happens when we drop these bodies? And, you know, from as early as I can remember, this is, this was the question. I was looking for what happens when we die, right? So here I was having this massive spiritual experience, but I was completely like I had no blip in my blood pressure. I was completely neutral. So much equanimity. So much. It was like, I was just like, it would be like, oh, the wind's blowing. Like that, that's, that's about how much excitement I have. Like when I was younger. It didn't exhaust you. I think that's what, when you described to me the experiences, I'm like, wouldn't it be exhausting to have that kind of rebirth in the pool, you know? in kind of letting that whale move through you and what you're describing now in this meditation experience. And it sounds like for you, it was just a channel. No, yeah, it's just a channel. It just, it just moved through. It was so like, un, um, like I didn't even call anybody and tell them about it right after it happened. And I think maybe the reason that I was able to have that experience is because I no longer needed that experience. You see, it's like when we're seeking something so hard, you know, we're trying to manifest it so hard or we're trying to have that spiritual experience and we're looking for it. You know, it's just like a, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's like if you're looking so hard, you're never going to get it. It's like you're ruining the, the, the spontaneity, right? You're, you're squeezing the channel because you, your attention is so on it. And it was just so funny to me that... Here I was, you know, and I was having this massive experience. I mean, I, I don't know many of my yogi friends that have had that experience, but it was so, it was so unimportant in a way and also kind of cool. I was like, oh yeah. So yeah, there's something else going on, you know? And I mean, I think that there are millions of different things that are going on, right? But it was just a demonstration of how is that possible? that I could be seeing a completely celestial world with my own physical eyes that I'm looking at you with now. So yeah, so that was, that was a whole whale thing. I didn't know I was going to go all the way and tell you all of that, but, but it's that beautiful. was connected That's to what... the whale, the yeah. whale thing. And so, so this type of thing, and this is why, you know, I, I, I think 
it's probably safe to say that that I, I am a pretty clear channel. I'm a pretty open channel, and um, I channel my creativity that way. You know, that's it's. I'm able to get out of the way and just let it, just let it have its but way. But in order for that to happen, you've had to have do this. You've had to have done the spiritual work. Did mm-hmm. that happen in this lifetime? I think it's happened in many lifetimes. I mean, you know, I think I've been. Yeah, I think it's been over, you know, many, many, many lifetimes. So I really think that, you know, I know we're all living our most important lifetime right now. And this being this sort of pinnacle moment on the planet of transformation of, you know, it's really a moment, you know, in time where uh, there is great opportunity for, for great spiritual advancement and great evolution. And so it's no accident that we chose to incarnate at this moment and that, you know, we're having this conversation right now. But I would say, uh, yeah, it, you know, everyone's life is no accident. You know, it, it's, it's, a sum, it's a sum of everything that's happened before in all of your thousands of lifetimes, you know, in all of your existence in, in every place. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's because of yeah practices that I've done or lifetimes that I've li- lived or burdens that I've you know carried challenges and horrors and tragedies that I've managed you know all of that. And to be able to be that clear channel that you are right now, I think you also have to be a rebel in some ways <laughs> to to the status quo. How has it been like for you and people misunderstanding that? Because in my own life, there's a lot of people who misunderstand or judge my my spirituality and my relationship to the divine. Mm. And I can imagine you've you've had some of these people mm. as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, honestly, like uh, I'll just call it, uh, you know, a star seeds life. You know, I call healers star seeds. We we all come from the stars, but you know, maybe some of us really did come from other systems and other stars to incarnate I on love this planet. That. Yeah, the star seeds. Yeah. So, you know, really, t- we we came here to actually affect evolution. You know, and so I think it's a classic story of a star seed to be misunderstood. It, I think it's literally across the board. You know, it's like we're all black sheep. We all were late bloomers. We all felt like we incarnated into a family. We were like, who are these people? Um, and they were like, who is this and star like, who is this person? <laughs> um, you, know, my, you know, so I, I think it's extremely common. And I think that the answer for that is that if, if I, you know, if we incarnated into each other's family and we just all stayed together, there would be no evolution. There would be no you know, no transformation. So we specifically came into certain families with certain miasms or certain um, imbalances in an order to harmonize the polarity and to bring the frequency in. And that's, uh, that's tough. That's been hard for some of us. And also, I think when we're not in a body, we, we think it's going to be much easier. You know, we're very ambitious you know, in a spirit. And we're like, okay, I can handle that. And then we get into the planet of the polarity and the suffering and the density and, you know, uh, spiritual, spiritually inclined people are more sensitive. You know, we feel energies that other people don't even see, you know, so, so we're dealing with not only the physical, we're dealing with all this other kind of stuff. And then also the judgment and the feeling of not belonging and, 
it can be extremely painful, especially when it's from your family and your sister and your mother and your father who you, you know, were taught, you know, they're supposed to love you unconditionally, but it's not happening, you know. And how do you make peace with that? Well, I mean, I think it's different for everybody. For me, uh, you know, I, um, I think sometimes we deny it and we act like it's not happening, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I think sometimes we get angry or rebellious, you know, we rebel. Um, but I think ultimately, um, you know, we find that everybody does what they can, you know, and when you become more mature, you realize that um, it's just a frequency thing. You know, it's not like they couldn't understand because they don't have the frequency. They can't see the landscape escape the way that you can see it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like being angry at somebody for, you know, for not understanding. So... I think we have an opportunity to, to have this amazing compassion. And it's funny, we had this really great conversation walking to the restaurant after yoga today. And this is a really, really profound moment for me. And that was, um, you know, here I was, I had been a very, um, very kind of successful daughter in the family. And I had, you know, experienced, uh, some, some level of wealth. I had, you know, built two homes and I had been a fashion designer and, you know, I was traveling the world with my then husband, who's the father of my oldest boys. And, you know, we were uh, very um, successful in the world, you know, very much in the world. And then I, and, you know, I, I hosted baby showers and bridal showers and weddings and took my family on, you know, vacations and on yoga, yoga retreats. And, you know, I kind of, did all this amazing stuff, cooked for 60 people, countless dinners and countless entertaining, you know. And then when I went through my dark night and all of that stopped, my actions were so terrifying to them that they couldn't support me in my pain. They couldn't support me in that dark night. And so they they got very scared and they judged me. And so not only did I have to deal with processing these planetary feelings of, you know, really the death of the planet in some ways, and, you know, uh, just the financial strain of being uh, parents of four children with no income and fighting for my house that was being taken, you know, on the verge of being taken from me. Um, I had to also field their judgment on top of it when it was like that was when I needed them. And the only thing that I needed anybody to tell me at that time was, I believe in you and I trust you to find your way. Can you say that again? I believe in you and I trust you to find your way. Like just feel like how powerful that is and how simple that is. And it's so, it's so um, out of reach you know? So, and, but it all comes from, because we're wired differently and we vibrate differently, we're designed to unravel everything around us. And so when you think of what is the meaning of a real healer, a real healer brings you to your knees. That's what a healer does. In the sense of the world, right? 
Because what are we doing? We're living in this illusion. We're buying stuff. We're getting a bank account. We're working in jobs that we don't want to work in because we're trying to survive, right? And we're trying to please this, this society that's run by the greed lord, you know, it's like, like we're worshiping the wrong God. We're worshiping greed, but that's how the whole thing's set up. And then um, we, you know, our truth and our awareness of something else, it starts to challenge all, all of this setup. And so it's extremely terrifying to like the ego and to, you know, to most human beings. Like we're talking about like 95% of the human beings on the planet, right? And so... It, it's very, very difficult, but I had this kind of funny experience because it, I had a lot of pain over it. I mean, I had a lot of human pain over it, although in my soul, I knew what, I knew what was happening. You had I, belief in yourself. Totally. It was so much deeper than anyone else's. Yeah. And yeah, I did. And, and, I, and it was conviction and I knew. And I also had some spiritual teachers and friends that held that space for me. And they said that you're doing the right thing. Um, you know, stay the course, you will be verified, stay the course. So while I was taking my kids out of school and like homeschooling them and telling my ultra endurance husband to go train, right. Instead of go work in law, you know, it, everything seemed counter. It was like completely like ass backwards, like already. And I'm sure, like, I know I have even a super dear friend of mine, Alice, who's you know, husband is like one of the biggest divorce attorneys in Chicago. And, you know, she never, she never doubted me and she always stayed by my side and she sent me money a couple times when I really needed it. And like that, those type of things, like we wouldn't have survived if people, if somebody hadn't, you know, we didn't have that help, which we did, but you know, like she would just mention us to out like socially and people would just freak out, you know, like everybody thought we were complete losers, like completely wrong. And it's because we were doing something so out of the box. So in these times, you know, I would feel so unfairly judged, you know, and I would feel that horrible pain, you know, and suffering of that. And then my ego would say, they're going to see, like, there's going to be a day and they're going to see, right? But, but isn't then that resentment, you know? Yeah, but then immediately I would laugh at myself, at my ego, because I knew that once I had come through this dark night, I would have shed that ego and I would no longer need that verification. So the ego was never going to have that day, no matter how hard she kicked and screamed, it was never going to happen. And now what I find is I have, I just have compassion. I have, you know, increasing amounts of compassion. Um, I'm, again, it's a frequency thing, you know, and I think the more that uh, we can depersonalize it and understand, uh, you know, take the actual personality out of it and just look at it as frequency across the board. Like it's not right or wrong, it's not better or worse. And also our role here is not better or worse than somebody else's role here. It's just, this is our role. And you have to just step into that for how it's showing up for you. Mm -hmm. There has been a big shift from the time when you said people considered you and Rich losers to now where, mm -hmm. you know, you guys are speaking in front of hundreds of people mm. and, you know, you may speak at an event and there's two hours later, you're still there because mm -hmm. people want 
to get to be in your presence. Mm-hmm. What is that like? What is it like to feel like, I mean, you, it sounds like you knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's this kind of odd thing and, and it's still, you know, it's still unfolding, but I've known since I was very, very young that I would be speaking to millions of people. And some of that manifested in, uh, me wanting, uh, you know, at a young age to be a model, which, um, I, I did on a very small level, you know, I was never pretty enough to be like, you know, to, to be plucked off the street and like put in the magazine or whatever. But it's like, I see these patterns in myself that were running at a young age. And the reason is, is because we, we all have to have some ego to even be in a body. Otherwise you would just wouldn't be here. So when people talk about, oh, you kill your ego completely, like, it's impossible when you're in a human body because you would just go like, hey, I'm out of here. Like there's no, no, nothing else to be done. So there's a part of me that was designed to be able to stand up in front of people because that's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I'm doing. So it would be interesting because I always knew this and some of you know my spiritual friends would say, oh, you know, you want to be a celebrity. I was like, no, that's not it. I'm going to be, you, you want know, to serve. I'm, I'm going to be serving in this way. So now that we are, I mean, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. It's still like we were, we were in Boston at the veg fest and you know, there was like a two hour line after Rich's talk and we're signing books. But the, the main thing is it's the level of connection of the people that are listening to Rich's podcast and listening to me when I, uh, co-host on his podcast, it's such a deep connection. And the reason is because we're not an actor who played a role in a movie that someone really loved, you know, or even someone who wrote a song that somebody really liked, which, which are really beautiful things. You know, I, I love actors and I love musicians and I love, I'm also a musician, but I guess what I'm saying is that we've shared the complete humanity of our life at such a transparent level that people have they feel bonded to us they feel connected to us and the power of that takes my breath away and i don't feel um like ownership of it at all it's again simply like the wind blew and touched my face i am just speechless when i went home i i can't i am marveling at the breadth of diversity in the people that are coming to us. It's, it's gay lovers, a mother with her son, uh, a plumber, uh, an athlete, chefs, uh, uh, every nationality I could think of, every age I can think of. It's young families. It's older people. It's I'm not seeing any, there's no solidifying demographic that I can put my hand around. It's it's the human. It's it's just humanity. It's the humanity. Yeah. And and it, it does kind of blow me away because I can, you know, I can understand, you know, easier, you know, somebody who's more like us in the modern world, you know, like, I don't know, you know, somebody who, who, who lives in sort of a modern way or, you know, travels to the places we do, or I don't, I, you know, I don't know, watches the movies we watch. I don't know, but, but there's no barriers to it. It's very, 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 very wide. And I'm seeing now how, you know, divine mother, this all has been planned exactly this way. 
And, you know, Rich and I had a lot of these ideas when we first met 16 years ago, and they were worthy ideas. You know, we were, you know, we were fairly nice people. You know, we were trying to do something that was really creative and really amazing. And we had this, our wedding ceremony is still just one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. We had, oh, it was just. Was Bhagavan Das there? Yes, Bhagavan Das was there. Oh he, my gosh. He actually did a Vedic, a Vedic fire ceremony he did our our vows um but it was it was absolutely incredible we had it we waited to get married on our land so we had just finished building the house i was four months pregnant pregnant with mathis um i had an indian uh skirt that was completely embroidered like crazy with the most gorgeous stuff it was gold and then i had a mandala painted on my belly uh with actual you know henna and I had a red veil, like an Indian red veil, but antique one. And it was just absolutely amazing. And then my boys, they walked me down the aisle. So I had each boy on each hand instead of flowers. And we had all these rose petals and Rich was there with Bhagavan. They had been in the teepee and then they were on the stage. And we had West African wedding singers. My friend Heather danced, she dances African. Uh, so they sang and played. We had gospel singers that were made up of my brother who plays with the Wallflowers and Lucinda Williams and uh, his wife, Holly, and uh, his ex-wife, Kelly, and my friend, Kurt, and Bernie, who sings for Moody Blues. Anyway, so they were all singing uh, gospel songs. Then Bhagavan did our Vedic fire ceremony. Then we had Howard Wills, who's a certain kind of ET channel, who actually pronounced this man and wife. And then I had another, another spiritual like um, theology uh, pair, Wes and Annette, who were channeling, you know, also from another realm. And all the clouds, they looked like angels in the sky. I'm not kidding you, like in the physical sky. And it was just truly one of the most beautiful experiences of our life. It was absolutely worthy of coming into a body for and um yeah it was it really sounds like something. Though, something about that experience actually is pretty emblematic of what was to come of that it was this kind of diverse gathering of so many different artists and creative beings and expressions mm -hmm. and then that now is actually manifesting in your life whether it be in the festival experience or in your travels mm -hmm. it was like mm -hmm. that experience was a seed yeah. for what's manifesting that's, manifesting now beautiful thank you yeah I, I I think you're you're right and it was it was also interesting to me because I had in my mind that after the wedding all the healers would sit at this table and we would have this evening and what happened is none of them were okay with each other and they all scattered so then it was even happening that's really then. interesting I was like what is going on so I mean it didn't it didn't damper anything we were doing actually we did a very you know big combination so we did the whole spiritual ceremony then we came in the house and like you know I think we were blasting Eminem like immediately or something so it's <laughs> You're breaking it down definitely so it was like it was definitely it's always the marrying in both worlds for us like well, it's, and Rich and you are, I mean both of you are so you're wired so differently yeah like I mean I'm right now we're doing this podcast totally and I got to different just talk than to <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah. it's because I'm being as present as possible as I can for you and your frequency but like uh, the way in which you guys are wired is yeah. so different what's yes. so cool is that mm -hmm. your marriage is this union of these different energies and in the co-creation process mm -hmm. is where the magic is happening yeah yeah it's amazing I mean again it's beautiful it's this thing where you know um 
yeah, we're, we're so different in our approach. We are so completely different in our approach. And but without each other. Yeah. It's like, but with you, not without each other, but you lift each other up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some major healing going on and there, you know, there is in that, in that sort of melding of the two different energies, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really, it's very, very different. And the thing is, again, you know, you go back to, you imagine like, you know, if you married or you were in a relationship with somebody that was so much like you, where is the healing? Where is the transformation? Where is the where challenge? Is the, where is the expansion? You know, really, where is it? So well, right now, what would you say is the challenge for you guys? Or where is the expansion? What's that um, space like for you two? Well, I mean, I think it's an ongoing of, you know, of uh, deepening the spiritual connection. And I think the challenge is, it's not really a challenge because we're very on it. We're very in it. But, you know, for a while, you know, things move, were moving very, very quickly. And we had to spend a lot of years suffering. So it was really awesome. You know, it's like really a relief. Like, thank God I could get a facial. Like, woo, like that's fantastic. You know, or just have the clothes I want or something like that. I mean, I'm a designer and I'm, I'm into luxury comforts. You know, I'm not, I don't need a lot. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, you're a minimalist. I'm a minimalist, but I have no problem having the best of something. If that's, if that's in alignment with me, if that's what I want. So I am a fashion designer, you know, like I come from that place. So it's kind of, I just, well, I always want to be upfront about that because, you know, I'm not here just wearing like an old dirty robe. Like, you're not going to see me in that. Okay. So like, no one judge me for that. Um, but I will be very, you know, it'll be very specific. You know, I feel very good with just a few things because I can truly honor those things, you know, and it feels good to me. And if I ever am, have too many things, it starts to bother me. It energetically feels bad to me. I'm like, whoa, like that's not okay. Um, so, uh, now I don't know exactly why I was saying what I was saying. We were just speaking to kind of where is the challenge or oh. where's the growth for you two right now, personally? Well, for us, I mean, we've been together 16 years. Um, and the growth for us now is, is, uh, um, I think it, it's a deepening of spiritual service and, you know, it's a conversation that we have and we connect over it. And, you know, I'm, I'm always reminding that we're only standing here by the grace of God. That's the only reason. You know, it could have, it could, if she had wanted it to be, if Divine Mother had wanted it, it could have just been the other way. We could have just been completely annihilated and fallen off the cliff. And like none of this happened. So it, we, we were completely risked everything. And, and the, and the line is so fine, you know, between, uh, sanity and insanity or happiness and unhappiness. You know, it's a very, it is a razor's edge. It's a very, very fine line. And the way that I, that I meet that is by being immersed in devotion every moment. So I'm not, I'm never separated from that. I think a uh, rich, uh, possibly can get more spun out in his mind where he's just trying to fulfill the, you know, the physical, you know, needs of, of, you know, having a show and showing up the and, duties and yeah. And there also was some other stuff that we, um, I guess we don't really have the challenge right now, but we did for a certain minute. There was a moment where the energy was going more public and there was some energy that was pulling on rich in a sexual way. Like for instance, he went to 
Mexico to do an event, which was really great. And they said, we're going to have you on the cover of Runner's World. And he was like, okay, great. And then they said, hey, do you mind if we Photoshop another person on the cover with you? And he just in a moment was like, okay, you know, just because everything's moving fast. And then when we saw the cover, they had Photoshopped like a hot Mexican runner girl like with a tight stomach with rich pointing at her no yeah that is no shit. that is ridiculous it was, so here it was on the cover i mean this is something that's like very cool i mean now it's like fine you know some it's cool to talk about it but yeah so here i was here i had suffered like nine years through this whole thing dark right night. total dark night and we had risked everything for each other. And, you know, I'm so blessed and so honored by Rich because of the way that he speaks about me and the way that he has honored me on the podcast. And it's, it's beautiful that he has done that. And that is really the truth of our relationship and where we've come. But in our society, when somebody starts to get notoriety, they immediately want to go, oh, you know, sexy, hot, vegan, you know, and all of a sudden there's all this... There's all this kind of a lecherous, you know, succubus energy that wants to come and they want to turn it into a sexual thing. And that's why for this is one of the reasons, you know, I'm not interested in that frequency. Um, I love sex and I have a lot of amazing creative sex with my husband, even after 16 years. And we're very in love with each other. But that's between me and him. That's and sacred. I don't I don't use sexual energy to manipulate another person. I'm very conscious of that. If I wanted to, I could. If he wanted to, he could. We don't do that. It's like we're we're not we're not dealing in that energy field. But here, because he was in another country, because we didn't have people helping us, because things just got rolling, and they probably didn't even mean to do something like that, but suddenly he he had become it, it had turned into like this sexual property type of thing. Like it, and it's, it's more the vibration of it, you know, and maybe in this world you would go, Oh, well, that's no big deal because that's just how it is. And you know, that that's how, what sells magazine covers. But I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh, that's, is that why we bled for all those years to be standing here for that? And he was like, no. And you know, he wasn't even at the shoot. I mean, it was ridiculous. So you know, we met and we, we made a, a, you know, conscious decision and we did not share it. And we just, you know, we just, we, it, it still was in Mexico, but we saw that in the future, there are energies that want to infiltrate what we're doing and they would like to tear us down. So I guess if we had a challenge, I, I wouldn't even say it's a challenge. I would say it's a responsibility that we both have committed to, that we have a responsibility to each other and to our children and to this message that we're, we're attempting to hold this space for other people, right? Because it's not just about us. It's about the millions of star seeds and the millions of people that are waking up into themselves. And I wouldn't be standing here if somebody hadn't held the space for me. And so to be able to hold the space for somebody else and say, you're not insane. Trust your heart. It's going to be okay. It might hurt a little bit and it might be uncomfortable and it might not look like what you think it is or want, you know, or want it, or to, want look it like. to look like, like for instance, ours didn't include health insurance. It didn't include being able to pay our mortgage. 
It didn't. It included getting our cars repossessed. Uh, it included me going to the pawn shop on my daughter's sixth, sixth birthday to try to get her get some money so that I could, you know, have something for her. You know, it included me losing my bank account. I had no bank account for four years. Can you, I mean, no bank account. Like, how, like what? You know, I had had like 740 credit. Like I was fully immersed in the world. I was, you know, I owned a fashion collection for God's sakes, you know, and here I was. But the other part of it that was so beautifully hilarious is I was still living in my palace. I was still living in one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life, which is the house where I live, which is the house that's in the plant power way, you know, and Saul Ray, our, my dear friend, who's a teacher. Yeah, he's amazing. Saul, yeah, Saul, I don't know, you know, you talk about, Saul and I didn't spend that much physical time together. Like when I grew up in yoga in this lifetime, I wasn't studying with him and I wasn't around him, but it was later on, like during my dark night and we connected with each other and we just always felt very close, like very, very deep connection. And, and I he remember, brought you on to his retreat. Yeah, he he was uh, he was trying. Like he was just like Srimati, like, you know, can I hire you? Can yeah. I he was he was trying to solve it. He did a healing session for me at one time and he was like, you know, because I felt disconnected from the earth. In my spiritual work, I had completely disconnected from the earth and I was building something cosmically, which had nothing to do with what was going on here. And that was the spiritual part of me being benched and not able to work and Rich going through his transformation. So Rich is going through his weight loss on this physical level, and I'm going through a whole spiritual odyssey in another dimension that, you know, Talk about that I w- was yes. so crazy. So, um, you know, Saul would come and he was like, you know, Srimati, like, I got to connect you to the earth, you know, so we'd go in meditation and he'd say, do you want me to? And I was like, you can't, like, it's not time. I wasn't done doing what I needed to do. So, he, it was funny because he came over for the first time and he just laughed when he saw my house. He was like, Srimati, this is a fine place to be in poverty. <laughs> I was like, I know. But, you know, we, it, it was so beautiful. And, and he did, he had a lot to do with the plant power way because he's, he's also very intuitive. And so he would just get these hits. It wasn't like I talked to him every day. He would just get a hit and call me. It would, he would get the message. And one time when Rich crashed on his bike, you know, we're going through this extreme friction, like just financial, it's, it's like sandpaper just scraping the skin off your body, right? And then there's a part of me that's just in spiritual conscious observerness, completely neutral, but all this other stuff is going on and you have four kids and um, um, Rich crashes on his face. And I drive up to Ojai and I walk in the room and he is just He's got like 22 stitches or I I could be wrong. Maybe it's 11 stitches. I don't know. On the inside of his mouth, he looked, he looked like horrible. And it was more than that because it was, it was not just a crash. It was a dimensional jump that had been activated. So it was, there was more on top of the actual physical crash. And, you know, I, I I asked him that day when I got him home and got him in the bathtub and I said, you know, if this if you had exited, if you had died, if this was your time out, is this how you want to be spending your life? Is, is this it for you? And he said, yeah, it is. And I said, okay, then let's do it. Then we'll do that. So I'm looking at him. He's in the bathtub. His face is unrecognizable. And he says to me, what are you thinking? Like through swollen lips. And I looked at him and I said, I'm thinking English patient. <laughs> you know that movie? Yeah. Where he's like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's what I'm thinking. 
So that night, you know, I got him, I got him together and I laid down that night and my physical body was quite traumatized. And I remember telling Divine Mother that night, I was like, you're going to have to carry me because I can't, like I'm literally, I, I was almost ready to just snap. Like it was way too much with him crashing and all that. And that night I had a dream with Saul and Shiva Ray. She was also a friend of mine uh, that I used to study with and we used to hang out. I haven't seen her in, in a while, but I will soon. But in the dream, um, I, was, I was lying down on this black leather couch with like, you know, um, you know like those button tuck, you know, like in a, in a salon or whatever. And Shiva was behind me on a black telephone. And Saul was sitting by me and he was blowing a mantra into my third eye. So he would blow it into my third eye and I would get instant relief through my body. And that dream continued through the night. And uh, that was just a really beautiful demonstration of his support for me and where, where we are co cosmically together or lineage or I don't quite know. But I, um, I texted him and told him about that the next day. And later I found out that that blowing a mantra into, into your, into different areas is actually like a Kriya or a yoga technique, but I didn't know that at the time. And even today in our practice, we had a blowing breath experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where yeah. we were holding a mudra, the beggar mudra, and yeah. we were blowing out. I'd never done that before. That's true. That was really pretty. So we, yeah, I feel like we've almost sh shaken the snow globe. Um, <laughs> Of memories and experiences, but I also mm -hmm. want to kind of preview, you know, what, what's present right now, mm -hmm. what you're working towards. And mm -hmm. something I'm really excited about is your book oh, yay. and that process. Mm -hmm. And what has that been like for you? Because you are such, I feel like an organic, more natural person instead of, I can't imagine it's hard, it's hard for you. I imagine to like sit down and be like, I'm going to work for three hours. Cause there's four kids who are coming, right. you know, they're like mom. Right. So how do you, how do you create space to write? And what, what is the book about? Well, I'm, I'm very efficient. You know, I'm good at channeling and I, I have good focus and, uh, I can affect things. So I'm, I'm, I don't struggle with writing. I don't really struggle. I find the time, you know, even if that's four 30 in the morning or, yeah. you know, I just figure it out. So that that's all fine. Um, the book is, it's, it's amazing to talk. The book is really sharing my life on this frequency, on this level with like some of the things that I've talked about during this podcast. And I mean, I, I want it to be accessible to people. So I'm trying not to just completely blow, you know, anybody out of the water. However, I blow am, I am who I am, you know, so it's yeah, about really just, yeah. yeah, it's about just really honoring that. And so it, it's a memoir and, uh, my agent is Bird Level, who was the agent on the Plant Power Way, and he's been amazingly supportive. He's quite excited about um, supporting me to actually establish myself as, as an author in my own right. And uh, so it's it's really exciting. Uh, my Our vision or our intention is to have a deal by the end of December. So um, I've been working with him, sending him you know samples and I've been doing a little bit of research, so I've read a, a couple books, which is, I usually only read spiritual texts. I, I only started reading some books in the last, actually, couple years, um, since I was young, you know, before then. But, so yeah, so I'm, I'm working on that, and uh, I'm, my sons, Tyler and Trapper, are helping me uh, edit it, 
um, they're very talented writers and, um, uh, so they're helping me kind of with it. So we'll see. I don't know if they're actually going to sign on full time or just help me from the wings. So that's really, that's really, you know, really, a, a really a, the biggest focus because when I write my memoir, my book, then I can, then I can, you know, expand from there and, and share. And I, I really feel the, the overarching energy of the reason that I'm here and, and the purpose of my life, uh, in this body is to be in service of, of holding a compassionate heart. So I feel that I embody mother, the energy of mother, and also, um, to hold this compassion, you know, this, I believe in you to find your way. So everything that I'm doing is with, that is really the core of what I'm doing. And that's why I'm doing the food. You know, the food is not, um, I'm not, uh, just a cupcake, you know, I'm not just making cupcakes. You're not just making a kale salad either. Yeah, you know, I'm not. This is nourishment of mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm continuing with the food. Um, I'm, I'm doing a nut cheese book I right know, now. I'm stoked about that. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, I've had fun and the experimentation's going very well and the flavor's very good. So I'm super excited about that and I'm excited to um, connect with Farm Sanctuary and I shot with the cows uh, before I left on the European tour. Um, so that's really beautiful. And then I'm also doing a gluten-free vegan uh, cake book. Uh, I made art cakes for my kids every birthday since they were little for 20 years. They could just wake up and say, Mom, I want a guitar, and then I would make it for them. So, But it, more than that, the book is, yes, it's vegan gluten-free cakes with really great frosting ideas and, and shapes and all that kind of stuff. And it's also a parenting book on experiencing a deeper connection with your children and connecting, you know, really having that meaningful connection because it's really available for all of us to experience. And I think that when we're in the standardized school system, we sort of hand our kids over to that construct. And then that construct dictates what we do in our lives. Well, oh, they said at school, you know, this is what we're doing. And, so, and in a way, we sort of step out of our, our role and really the magic and the creativity and the uniqueness and the individuality that you could be experiencing. And I know that by making those cakes just that one day a year for each of my children, um, they were delighted and they felt honored and they felt really loved, you know, because I spent, you know, hours making them a cake on their birthday and they participated in it and all that. So I'm going to be doing that for sure. And, um, then I'm, I started playing sitar. It's almost been one year. Wow. Congratulations. So, yeah. So that was really crazy because, um, what happened is, 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 uh, I study with this, uh, master, this very beautiful, sacred master named, um, his holiness Vidya Dishananda. And he comes from the high Himalayas, uh, where he meditated at like, I don't know, 12,000 feet and stops his heartbeat for three months at a time and is actually merged with the cosmos and then comes back into his body. And he's part of a small order of monks, like 12 monks up there. So he's now living in the U.S. and teaching. Uh, basically, his mission is to preserve the ancient uh, Vedas, the ancient Sanskrit teachings in their pure form. And he is a Giri um, a guru, a Giri swami. That means from the mountains. 
Um, and um, I forgot why I was telling you. So then you have to. Yeah, we were just kind of talking about what what you're working on in sitar as oh just sitar a musical expression. That's what I said. Okay, thank you. So he's a he's a master of health, and he's also a master of music. He happens to be, and so he introduced me to these two Indian violin players named Ganesh and Kumaresh. And uh, Tyler, my older son, and I went to see them play at Loyola Marymount, a concert. And have you ever seen an Indian play violin? I have not. Okay, so it's this amazing thing. They sit cross-legged and they turn the violin upside down. So the top of the neck sits in the, uh, in the curvature of the foot and they play it upside down. And these two brothers are some of the most renowned violinists in all of India and the play between the two of them musically, it's, it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. And my sons are also brothers, of course, and they play in our, in my band and in their own band. So Tyler and I left that concert and we, we just, we couldn't even talk. We were just like, it was so good that we were speechless. So the next day, you know, some of my music has violin on it and cello on it. Um, and, um, actually, and I just want to mention it was played by this amazing musician named Abby, um, Scoville, who's actually having some health challenges at the moment. She's a very, very beautiful starseed, very beautiful healer. And she blessed me with these performances and, and she hasn't played since, um, that. So anyway, um, so I, I wanted to play violin. So the next day I was like, I have to, I have to start taking violin. Like I just, I have to now. So I went online and I looked for an Indian violin teacher and I just Googled and I went down the list, list, list. And I just found a type name and I called the number and the man answered the phone and he's Indian. He says, hello. And I said, you know, I, I want to play violin. And he said, do you play violin? And I said, no. And I said, should I just not even ask? Should I just forget about it completely? And he said, no. He says, music's for everybody. He said, rent the violin and call me back. So I rented it that day and I called him back the next day. And I said, I have the violin. He said, I'll come tomorrow. So he arrives at my house and he walks in and he says, did you watch my videos on YouTube? And I said, no, I just took my finger and found your listing. So it turns out he's a musical director of Indian music. He's like a premier Indian performer and like featured in concerts. And he's like, he's like a top echelon, you know, teacher. So he He's taught me, walking into your house. he comes in and so he teaches me, you know, violin for one time. And then he looks at me and he says, your instrument is sitar. And I said, do you teach sitar? And he says, yes, I'll bring it next week. So the next week he brings me a sitar and he left that with me for three months. And I took lessons every single, I'm, I'm totally, you know, obsessed with sitar because it's like the grooviest thing. So then he told me, okay, now you have to buy your own. So I bought my own and it arrived with this like rock star George Harrison, like orange inside. So now, so Shuman Laha is my teacher's name, Shuman Laha. And so he's been teaching me um, Indian music with sitar. And then, um, oh, he said to me, um, Okay, so I have another little story that I'm, that I'm going to share with you. So uh, I said, you know, I have a harmonium. My harmonium, I got it at Yogananda's ashram. Um, and it's actually this harmonium that was begging me to buy it. I wasn't going to buy it. It literally would not stop 
pulsing and it was in my inner vision and I could not meditate. So I had to leave the retreat and go buy this harmonium, which is what I wrote many of my first songs on this, this harmonium. And it's, it's very different than any harmonium I've ever seen. It's very, very old. Uh, it looks old, but I wasn't quite sure whatever. So anyway, I just, it's become broken over the years of our trauma. And, you know, some, one of my kids' friends fell on it and a friend of mine stepped on it. It was like really, really, really not doing well. So I showed him the harmonium to Schumann. I showed it to him and he said, I have a guy who repairs them. And he took one look at it and he was just like, I don't know, man, like this is really beat up. But he took it anyway because I told him it was very dear to me and I had gotten it at Yogananda's ashram. So when he gets it to the harmonium guy, the guy calls me and he says, where did, he said, where did you get this harmonium? He said, I, I've, I've repaired hundreds of harmoniums and I've never seen one like it ever. Wow. And he goes, it's very, very old. And I said, well, he said, I will, I'd like to buy it from you. Could I offer you some money and buy it from you? And I said, no, you can't. And so I told him the story of being at Yogananda's ashram and the fact that it was screaming at me to buy it. And he, I said, you know, I feel as if it was my harmonium in a past life. And he said, well, that would explain a lot because he had never seen a harmonium that looked like that. It's crazy. I, I didn't even know. I thought maybe it was like a reprodu reproduction of a harmonium. Yeah. So anyway, so recently though, Shimon told me it's in a key that doesn't make any sense. The key is not the key of Indian music. So he can't teach me Indian vocal um, on it. On it, yeah. So recently, just in the last month, he said, you know, Srimati, I have a harmonium coming for you from India. And when he delivered it and he unpacked it, he had had Srimati um, in, like, cut out of the back of it. So it actually says my name in the back. Aww. And so I only got it right before I left for Europe. And I've started using it in my podcast because I've just launched my yeah, own podcast. So, yeah. So I, I play live music for, like, the first... 10 minutes and then we go into like spiritual you know sharing so anyway so i have a harmonium in this very apartment you do wow yeah. how amazing yeah That's we'll so, cool. <laughs> yeah. so anyway so um so all of that beautiful stuff is happening and uh and i feel extremely blessed and it's it's a beautiful time it's a beautiful time now and and also you know in women's life, you know, after the children are grown up, it's actually our most creative time. It's our most powerful time. And so this is a time I've waited my entire life. So I've been serving other people. I've been taking care of my children, my four beautiful children, Tyler, Trapper, Mathis, and Jaya, and my nephew Harrison, who's also my son who lives with us. Um, and then Rich, you know, holding the space for him and really holding that energetic platform so that he could rise and be doing what he's doing. And so, uh, now it's really my time and I can feel, um, all of my energy very viscerally right here, right with me. And the and universe so. is conspiring for, for you to step into that time. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's a real honor to get to be sitting here together because we've done two podcasts together already on Skype. Yeah. And just to get to be in your energy in person is just such a gift. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Before we wrap it up, I would love for you to just share either a challenge or a question you'd like listeners to ponder in their life. Hmm. Um, well, I would say, I don't know if it's a challenge or a question, 
Um, well, no, I have a question. If not you, then who? Will you say it again? If not you, then who? Then who will do it? Then who will express it? Mm. If, if it's not you who's going to live your heart's desire with abandon and courage and freedom and spontaneity, then who will do it? So we're the ones we've been waiting for. It's us. It's, it's, not, it's not someone else outside of you. And we were all created in a divine blueprint for a specific purpose, for this exact moment. And so I would say, if not you, then who? Think about it. Thank you. Wow, isn't Julie, her stories, her insights so powerful? Maybe she helped you begin to think about how you can connect to your primal pulse and live from the center of your being. If you want more of Julie in your life, I know I do, you can listen to the Ritual podcast where she frequently co-hosts my favorite Ask Me Anything series. And Julie's actually starting her own podcast show called Divine Through Life this very December. December 22nd to be exact, so keep on the lookout for that, and I'm already counting down the days. If you want to be a part of a community that's ready to dive deep into the tough questions that Julie and I explored, look no further than the Revolution Y retreat. As I said in the intro and I'll say it again, Revolution Y 2015 was honestly one of the most transformative weekends of my year, and I'm already getting excited for September 23rd through 26, 2016. You'll get to eat amazing plant-based food, get plugged into nature on the 60-acre West Virginia farm property in which the retreat is held, engage in workshops on self-development, entrepreneurship, maybe practice yoga or go on runs led by me, you choose, and make friendships that are no doubt going to be lifelong. If you want in on receiving the early bird discount for Revolution Y Retreat, from now until December 14th, apply to join us on revolutiony.com. Now before I sign off for today, two important things to ask of you. One is that the last month I launched a new running on ohm.com. I am super excited about the new site and I'm so grateful to my designer, Ethan Wright Magoon, for all his hard work and creativity. If you want to be the first to know about when I release a podcast, blog entry, or delicious plant-powered recipe, you can subscribe to me on the Running on Ohm email list on runningonohm.com. I'll also be sending out some exclusive Rue discounts to the email list. So head to runningonohm.com right now and get aboard the Rue train. Now, my second and final announcement for today is if you want to win that Wazelle outfit, my favorite clothing company that can be worn for more than just running functional and beautiful athletic apparel, all you have to do is leave Running on Ohm a review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at Running on Ohm. The giveaway ends tonight, November 30th at midnight Pacific Standard Time, and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for reaching out to me on social media. It honestly makes my day to know that these stories are inspiring your lives. Reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or email and let me know how Julie's wisdom on connecting to your primal pulse moved you. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.